Hi, my name is Brian. Welcome to episode 4 in the podcast, Homo Deus, Humanity's Evolution from Social Institutions to World Peace. In chapter 4 of his book, Harari explains how ancient Sumerian gods are similar to today's corporations. This sounds odd at first, but Harari explains how both the Sumerian god Enki and the modern Apple Corporation can accomplish a great deal if we all act like they really exist. Also, we will discuss how Harari's book Homo Deus is similar to the Bible. Again, it sounds odd, but we will see if we can find any strong similarities. With chapter 4, Harari starts the second section of his book. The first section focused on the relationship between Homo sapiens and other animals. The second section focuses on the bizarre world Homo sapiens have created in the last millennia, leading up to the belief in the human creed that the universe revolves around humankind and that humans are the source of all meaning and authority. He calls his chapter The Storytellers, and it elaborates on the webs of meaning, or the intersubjective realities, he discussed in previous chapters. Harari tells how our stories began about 70,000 years ago with the cognitive revolution. These fictional webs remain small and local for the next 60,000 years. That being said, they still gave Homo sapiens a huge advantage over other animals as they allowed cooperation in groups of hundreds, and in some cases thousands. The agricultural revolution began about 12,000 years ago, enabling much larger groups and more powerful stories. However, they were still strictly limited by the memory capacity of the human brain. The limitations of the brain were overcome about 5,000 years ago in the cities of Sumer with the invention of both writing and money. These inventions broke the data processing limitations of the brain and enabled cooperation in much, much larger groups. The Sumerians built grand temples to their gods, which served not just as centers of worship, but also as important political and economic hubs. Although Sumerian religion seems strange to us, their purpose is analogous to modern brands and corporations today. Today, corporations are fictional entities that own property, lend money, hire employees, and initiate economic enterprises. It was the same in ancient Sumeria. We might say, I work for Apple, or Google introduced enhancements to their search engines, or the United States built the first nuclear bomb. Sumerians would have said, I work for the great god Enki, or the goddess Inanna built this canal. It is really the same thing. In both cases, the Sumerian gods and the modern corporations or countries don't actually exist, and they can't do anything on their own. But at the same time, when groups of humans act as if they really do exist, much is accomplished in their name. So saying the goddess Inanna built this canal 
is a fairly accurate way of capturing how the intersubjective reality made the canal happen. Egypt took things a step farther. Egyptians considered the pharaoh to be an actual god rather than just a divine deputy. The whole of Egypt belonged to Pharaoh and had to obey his orders and pay taxes. The living god pharaohs of Egypt are similar to personal brands today, such as Elvis Presley, Madonna, or Justin Bieber. Although all of these people exist or existed as biological humans, what matters more is the myth about them and what is accomplished in their name by armies of bureaucrats that is, agents, lawyers, producers, secretaries, etc. Even after the Pharaoh's death, or Elvis Presley's death, things carry on business as usual. Today, fans still buy the King's albums, radio stations go on paying royalties, and more than half a million pilgrims flock to Graceland every year, even though Elvis has been dead for over 40 years. Writing facilitated much more powerful fictions, but it also habituated people to experiencing reality through the mediation of abstract symbols, resulting in the reshaping of reality itself. Several great examples are given. One of them is marks in the education system. Grades were developed to measure the success of the education system. However, this often results in the goal of the education system becoming getting better marks, which can become divorced from actually learning more. Nevertheless, we pat ourselves on the back for getting better marks and celebrate the success. If anyone approaches life from the perspective of marks don't matter, they aren't likely to get very far. These observations highlight the dilemma we are in. The power of human corporate networks depend on a delicate balance between truth and fiction. If you distort reality too much, it will weaken you and you will not be able to compete against more clear-sighted rivals. On the other hand, you cannot organize masses of people effectively without relying on some fictional myths. So our dilemma is to come up with just the right balance of truth and fiction. Harari concludes his chapter by predicting that in the 21st century, we will create more powerful fictions and more totalitarian religions than in any previous era. With the help of biotechnology and computer algorithms, these religions will not only control our minute-by-minute existence, but they will be able to reshape our bodies, brains, and minds, and to create entire virtual worlds complete with heavens and hells. Similar to the previous chapter, I really like this chapter. I love the comparison of ancient gods to modern corporations. I think it is very helpful. I have nothing to add to the main points he is making here, but I do want to note a couple of areas of disagreements on lesser points. The first disagreement I have is on whether we will be able to create more powerful fictions in the 21st century than in previous centuries. If you listened to my last episode, 
you will know that I do not agree with this point. I do fully agree that we are on the path to more powerful fictions. But I believe there comes a point when fiction's powerful enough to engender true belief by a critical mass of people will no longer be possible. At this point, we will have run out of stories that can fulfill the traditional evolutionary role of enabling cooperation and justifying our communal violence. Looking at movements like Me Too or Black Lives Matter or Indigenous Relationships, it seems that people just don't believe anymore. These movements are calling out for justice. They are not willing to accept the violence inherent in our fictions. I certainly agree with Harari that we will try to create new fictions, and maybe we will have some success, but I don't see it going on indefinitely. At some point soon we will run out of stories. We will have to face the truth about ourselves and our violence, or we will cease to exist. The second point I want to disagree on is with regard to the ancient Israelites and the Bible. Harari highlights a flaw in the beliefs of ancient Israel. They believed everything that happened to them was direct punishment or reward from Almighty God, rather than related to more on-the-ground realities such as the global ecology, the Babylonian economy, or the Persian political system. I agree with this point. The authors of the Bible missed the boat on this, no disagreement. But he goes on to describe how the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides understood reality much better than the authors of the Bible. This is the part I want to question. When I read through the Law and the Prophets, that is, the early parts of the Bible, what really stands out to me about the ancient Israelites is that they were history's first non-believers. Or at least they were the first non-believers with documentation. Here's what I mean. The ancient Israelites looked at the living God Pharaoh and said, Bullshit, he is no God. They looked at their own enslavement and said, This is bullshit. Our slavery isn't the divine established order. It's not fair. It's not right. They looked at the actual suffering of real people, just like Harari encourages in this chapter, and said, This is bullshit. Pharaoh, yeah, he's really powerful, but fair treatment of people is more important than grand cultural edifices. They looked at the land and tax ownership structure, with everything being owned by the pharaoh, and said, Bullshit. We are going to do this differently. Every family will own their own land and be free. Of course, the translations of the Bible I have read don't actually use the word bullshit and my Hebrew isn't good enough to claim that they are wrong. But this is certainly the sense that I get in reading through their text. Do you know what would be really surprising to read in the Bible? If there was a passage saying how great the pyramids are, calling them an incredible accomplishment of humankind, and suggesting it would be a great idea to take a vacation with your family and go visit them. That is what we do today, but not the ancient Israelites. They saw through the facade of oppression and told a different story. Their stories were revolutionary, 
both in the context of Egypt, where we are told they were first conceived, and also in the context of Metropolitan Babylon, where they were later edited and compiled. I think it is good that Harari calls out how the ancient Israelites got it wrong, but let's also mention what they got right. They were the first non-believers in history. They saw through the lies in the Pharaoh fiction that Harari spends a lot of time talking about in this chapter, and they called out slavery as being wrong, long before anyone else was making this call. They were true revolutionary texts. In his book, Harari gives example after example of how people who don't believe in their community's fiction don't get farther in life. For example, how far would you get if you stopped believing in money? Or how far would you get in life if you didn't believe in grades or degrees? Or if you're having a disagreement with tax authorities, how far will you get if you don't think it's important what is printed on the tax man's forms? Yes, the intersubjective realities humans create often overpower actual reality so that it doesn't matter anymore what the truth is. What matters is what the bureaucracy says. It's kind of like the saying, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. But in this case, it doesn't matter if you're right. Everyone disagrees with you and they have a huge bureaucracy backing them. The non-believer doesn't have a chance. This is what's so amazing about the Israelite story. How did they even survive? Most people did not end up with a positive outcome after being pursued by Pharaoh's army. And Israel didn't even have an army. Uh, possibly timing had something to do with it. There may have been a period of chaos in Egypt, and the Mesopotamian empires may have been at a low point. These factors may have enabled Israel to eke out a living as a very small and insignificant country of non-believers. But even in the best of times, when they weren't oppressed by their neighbors, they had an extremely difficult time living out their vision. Reading through the texts of the books like Joshua, Judges, and First and Second Kings, it all seems like a big disaster. Maybe they should have stayed in Egypt, kept on believing in the Pharaoh, and eating delicious melons. Maybe, but they didn't. What is surprising is that they got anywhere at all. And it is surprising that hundreds of years later, they kept on telling stories about how they were formerly slaves and that the oppression was wrong. Usually people will go to a great effort to emphasize their noble birth. For example, the Romans made up a very improbable fiction about being descended from Aeneas after he fled Troy. But Israel was different. I can't think of any other ancient historical document that is a total expose of the community fiction like the Bible was. Yes, the Bible was written and rewritten by Jewish scribes, just like Harari describes. Isn't it interesting what they came up with? In fact, I would argue that Harari's book is similar to the Bible in many ways. The Bible goes to a lot of effort to call out the Pharaoh religion as false, encouraging people to think differently. When written, 
It was an expose on slavery and empire, unlike anything the world had ever seen before. Nothing even came close. Harari goes to a lot of effort to call out the humanism religion as false, encouraging people to think differently. I have never read anything like it. All my life I have heard and believed in the myths of humanism, such as free will, the notion of an individual, and the idea of democracy. After reading Harari's book, I can never view these concepts in quite the same way. Note that section 2 of Harari's book is all about humanism, so we haven't covered a good amount of his commentary on humanism yet. That will come in later podcasts. The texts from both books show a true loss of faith in the respective shared narratives, and both seem to feel a missionary zeal to tell others about it, with the purpose of making the world a better place. And both are internationally best-selling books. After escaping the Egyptians, the Israelites still had to come up with something to replace the pharaoh in order to facilitate cooperation so that they could survive. And they came up with monotheism. As I noted, Israel struggled to make their vision a reality and had lots of problems. Maybe it would have been better for them and for us if they just kept on believing in Pharaoh and didn't burden us all with their monotheism. Regardless of your opinion on that, I hope you can see how very different Israelite monotheism was from the Pharaoh worship. In Egypt, God is entirely associated with the human corporation. Anything the corporation does is the divine will of God by definition. In Israel, God is separate from the human corporation, and the human corporation is somehow accountable to God for fair treatment of people. That is a dangerous and revolutionary idea. Harari doesn't present an alternative to humanism, in Homodeus. But given the success of his book, he did feel compelled to write another book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. I am holding a copy in my hands right now. On the cover there are three quotes from Bill Gates. One is on the front, one is on the back, and one is on the inside cover. One of the quotes is, offers a helpful framework for processing the news and thinking about the challenges we face. Reviewing 21 Lessons is beyond the scope of this podcast, so I'm not going to agree or disagree with Mr. Gates. I just wanted to observe how, like the Israelites, Harari felt he had to come up with something to replace or modify the humanism religion he was abandoning. This only makes sense. Sapiens and Homo Deus were international bestsellers. He had a following. And once he had a following, some sort of framework or story needs to be established in order to provide order to your followers. You can't just abandon them, leaving them with nothing but the chaos of unbelief. The Israelites wrote the Bible and established monotheism. Harari wrote 21 lessons and provided a framework for thinking. Given what monotheism has become today, 
you might find it difficult to view monotheists as non-believers. But this is the way it was for the first thousand years or more of monotheism. The Roman world viewed them as uncooperative and possibly dangerous non-believers. When things went wrong in society, the Jews and Christians were the kinds of people that could be blamed and punished. Monotheists lived as minorities within polytheistic society, or as a small, insignificant country surrounded by more powerful, polytheist neighbors. The Roman world and the Greek world were polytheist. They believed in a pantheon of gods who would wage wars against each other and commit acts of violence against humans, such as murder and rape. And of course the gods demanded sacrifices, both humans and animals. This was the Greek world of Herodotus and Thucydides. As Harari notes, when the two worldviews collided, the Bible won by a knockout. And this history repeated itself again and again. When the Germanic tribes invaded and conquered the Roman Empire, what happened? It was the Germans who accepted Christianity, and not the other way around. What is the reason for this? The explanation that Harari provides is, no matter how mistaken the Bible was, it provided a better basis for cooperation. This seems kind of weak to me. If the Bible provided a better basis for cooperation, surely, if you believe in evolution, there has to be a reason. Again and again, polytheism fell before monotheism. How did monotheism provide a better basis for cooperation? Well, as Harari notes, our societies are based on a blend of truth and fiction. If you distort reality too much, it will weaken you, and you will not be able to compete against your more clear-sighted neighbors. Harari may not want to admit it, but this is the reason. Humanity is on a journey to more and more powerful stories. The myths of the gods just weren't compelling anymore. Monotheism provided a more believable story than polytheism. After all, what do you find easier to believe? That there is a pantheon of gods who fight amongst each other and sometimes come down from heaven to rape humans and are just as selfish and petty as us? Or that there is somehow a great spirit behind the universe? You may not believe either one, but I hope you can see how people today find the idea of a great spirit easier to believe. Yes, the old intersubjective reality dissolved as something more powerful replaced it. With the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine to Christianity in 312, the first large-scale monotheistic state began. But before Constantine, the monotheists were just minorities who didn't believe in the polytheistic stories of Egypt, Babylon, or Rome. And they often paid a heavy price for their unbelief. It goes without saying that the monotheism that we know is also a blend of truth and fiction. Monotheists disagree with each other on so many points so that it is mathematically impossible that they are all fully true. But they were a little closer to the truth and when blended with just the right fictions, 
They form powerful stories that polytheism had no chance against. Getting back to Herodotus and Thucydides, they lack the sort of revolutionary thinking that I see in the Bible and in Harari. For those unfamiliar with their work, they were both historians. Herodotus wrote a history of the Greco-Persian Wars. He is sometimes called the father of history because he is the first writer known to use a method of systematic investigation. On the other hand, because of the fanciful nature of some of the stories he includes, he is sometimes called the father of lies. This is an unfair name, though, since a sizable portion of his material has been confirmed by historians and archaeologists. Thucydides, on the other hand, was an Athenian general who lost a war, and as punishment he was forced into exile. In exile, he wrote about the war between Sparta and Athens, and how Athens was really screwing it up. He is sometimes called the father of scientific history, because of his attempt to apply standards of impartiality and his analysis of cause and effect, without reference to intervention by deities. Both Herodotus and Thucydides were Greek elites writing to other Greek elites. Neither of them really challenged their community's fundamental stories like Harari and the Bible do. The Bible and Harari are true non-believers. The Bible doesn't believe in slavery, Pharaoh, or the Babylonian Empire. And Harari doesn't believe in humanism. When you read these books, their non-belief is extremely obvious. There is nothing like this in Herodotus and Thucydides. I'm sure some will protest that Herodotus and Thucydides didn't really believe in Zeus, Hera, and Hermes. And maybe they did hold some healthy intellectual skepticism. But at the end of the day, Homo sapiens need a grand story to facilitate cooperation. This is fundamental to our evolution. Zeus, Hera, and Hermes were a big part of the Greek stories. They were part of the Greek religion deal. Herodotus and Thucydides were comfortable within Greek polytheism and would have believed in the deal in all the ways that really mattered. Otherwise, we would have seen evidence of their non-belief in their writings. I do acknowledge that their writings were important contributions to Western civilization. These are good texts, and this is good. But I think it is even more important to read people who have swam upstream and accomplished the very difficult task of losing their religion. Losing your religion is not an easy thing to do. The grand civilizations and religions that Homo sapiens have built are remarkable. The accomplishments of the Pharaoh and of humanism are remarkable. But what is even more remarkable to me is when Homo sapiens have challenged and reimagined these community fictions and come up with something with a little more emphasis on the truth. Credit should be given where credit is due and I admire both the Bible and Harari for doing exactly that. I would read Harari 
or the Bible ahead of Herodotus and Thucydides every time. That's it for episode 4. Let me summarize what we discussed in this episode. Homo sapiens' ability to tell stories and create intersubjective realities gave them a huge survival advantage over other species. The invention of writing and money greatly leveraged the power of this ability. No longer were our stories limited by the capacity of the human brain. The ancient Sumerian civilization established powerful religions with impressive temples. These religions function very similar to today's corporations. Like the modern Apple Corporation, the great god Enki of Sumeria was a pure fiction. That being said, both Apple and the great Enki can accomplish a great deal if everyone acts like they truly exist. We have no problem saying the United States built the first atomic bomb. We understand what it means. But when the Sumerians say the great god Enki built this canal, we find it confusing. But they are basically saying the same thing. Losing your religion is difficult. The first challenge is seeing through the community fictions. But after that, what do you do? For the most part, it is impossible to disagree with the community fictions and survive. You just don't get very far in life if you don't agree with the community's shared fictions. The fictions are often powerful enough that even if reality doesn't line up with the fiction, reality becomes irrelevant. The fiction wins. In order for Homo sapiens to stay on the trajectory of technological development that we are on, we will need to create even more powerful fictions in the 21st century. Harari thinks this will happen. I am thinking we are close to a tipping point where we will run out of stories that are powerful enough to do the job. Harari's book, Homo Deus, is actually a lot like the Bible. Both books are written by revolutionaries who no longer believe in the religion of the day. Ancient Israel no longer believed in slavery, pharaoh worship, or the Babylonian Empire. And Harari no longer believes in humanism. Both are international bestsellers, and in the end, both try to come up with a framework for their followers to replace the religion they are leaving behind. Another similarity between Homodanus and the Bible is that I am a big fan of both books. I feel great inspiration from both. Losing your religion is not an easy thing to do. And yet both books at least partially succeed in doing this. To me, this is a step closer to us admitting the truth about our violence and really starting on the path to building a better world. It gives me hope that a day is coming where we will no longer need to blend fiction with the truth. It will be a huge step. So big it literally means evolving into another species. But it is a step we need to take. And I think there are reasons to be optimistic that we can make it. But I will save this for another episode.
Before I close off, let me say that I would really appreciate it if you helped me to promote this podcast. I asked for your help last week, and if you were thinking about doing something, maybe telling a friend or posting on social media, but you didn't get around to it, now would be a great time to follow through on that thought. I've put a lot of effort into this podcast and would love to widen our conversation to include a few more people. I would really value getting the additional perspectives and feedback. Thank you so much for your consideration. Please join me next week for the fifth episode in this podcast, which focuses on the odd couple, science and religion. In this chapter, Harari provides some helpful definitions and examples that enable us to understand this relationship better. He illuminates how even atheists often continue to remain very religious. What Harari says makes a lot of sense but neither scientists nor religious adherents seem to understand it. Why is there still so much confusion? Please tune in next week.